0: Professor Marianne from our hen house, her knowledge overflows. Legislation from cat to pig to mouse. She knows all of those. Critter defenders from across the globe. Share their stories first to last. So
1: welcome
0: to what we now know as the Animal Law Podcast. It's the Animal Law Podcast. Welcome to the second episode of the Animal Law Podcast. We just issued the first episode a few days ago and said it would be quite a while before the second episode came out, maybe even a month, and here we are again. But, you know, somehow... I guess the Animal Law Podcast has had an enormous effect on the progress of the law, and the decision came down in Steve Weiss's Manhattan case. And so he agreed to come back on and talk about what what this latest development in the case is. And I'm so excited he's going to because we want to know every detail of this. And as you know, there have been three cases brought in the state of New York. He's already been through the, the an appellate process, the... Mid-level appellate process in two of those cases, and the third case was was in the Supreme Court, which, of course, in New York State is the trial court. And now we'll be going to the appellate division in the First Department. So it's really a fascinating decision. Didn't win, but it's a fascinating decision, and I think you're really going to want to hear what Steve has to say. Welcome back to our house, <laughs> Steve.
1: <laughs> Thank you for inviting me.
0: Uh, it's it it it's. Seems like we just spoke to you, which, in fact, we just did. And uh, I don't know whether every time the Animal Law Podcast speaks to somebody, uh, they'll immediately get a decision in their case. But um, that's what happened here. So we thought we'd get you back on the phone. And you were, you were kind enough to agree to talk about what's happened in the Hercules and Leo case, which uh, we spoke about and which has now – a decision has come down from the uh, Supreme Court. That's the trial court, of course, in, in uh, Manhattan. And according to the New York Post, chimps are not people, judge rules in animal rights case. <laughs> That's not exactly what happened here, of course. So what's the real <laughs> bottom line here? What, in a nutshell, did the court rule?
1: Well, there's the, the, the bottom line is that Judge Jaffe ruled on the personhood issue that she was bound by a decision of the Third Department in Tommy's case that came down in 2014, that we are currently bringing before the Court of Appeals to ask uh, leave for further review. But she felt that, at least, uh, uh, as she said in her her opinion, for now, given that precedent, she has to she has to deny our petition for habeas corpus, which we thought was very interesting that that she did say, for now, I have to do this uh, because my hands are tied. So uh, we we now. Uh, move up to the first department and uh which is not bound by the uh third department's decision in tommy's case
0: yeah it, it really is I mean, and I think she was right and and it really gave her a wonderful opportunity to write a very very interesting decision and uh the, i I assume you see that there're you you're seeing a lot of positives here,
1: oh yes, it's filled with positives uh uh, for one thing, uh, th- though she said she was bound by the what the third department said in Tommy's case, she specifically said she was not bound by what the fourth department said in Kiko's case, uh, that there was contrary authority in the first department, which we are going to uh, raise directly with the Court of Appeals in the next week, uh, showing them that this judge believes that there is a conflict between the departments, and that's yet another reason that we'd like the Court of Appeals to review Kiko's case to settle that. Uh, perhaps... Uh, most remarkably from a legal point of view, is that the first time she acknowledged that uh, that a human being, or a non-profit like the Non-Human Rights Project, uh, could sue on behalf of a non-human animal. Uh, not on behalf of the Non-Human Rights Project, but to actually sue on behalf of a non-human animal. So, to our knowledge, that is the first time that has happened uh, ever. We also saw that uh, she addressed the the argument that if you give rights to a chimpanzee, then the floodgates are going to open. And she specifically said that uh, the floodgates argument was not a cogent reason for denying relief, uh, which is which is nice. We'll be able to cite that because uh, people claim that uh, all the time. Uh, she said that um, she said that we were in the right uh, we were in the right venue that we indeed could under the habeas corpus statute uh, file a. Uh, a suit in any jurisdiction we wanted, and it didn't have to be the jurisdiction in which the animal was being held prisoner. Uh, so we uh, we liked that, and we wish uh, uh, we had perhaps <laughs> done that in the first place and filed suit in the first department uh, originally. But uh, actually, a New York firm had advised us to the contrary, and uh, uh, we believed them since we retained them to advise us. Uh, we later came to the conclusion that we knew more than they did, and that's why we decided to. Uh, to bring the second case involving Hercules and Leos in the uh, New York County, and the judge uh, upheld our right to do that.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I don't want to go into the venue issue in, in detail because it's it's very specific. And yes. But I am curious to know whether you think the appellate court could go the other way on venue. Uh, as you mentioned, Judge Jaffe ruled with you uh, on venue and, and and on almost every procedural issue. Do you think that you could ultimately, could you still lose on that?
1: Oh, yeah, I assume we could. Uh, you know, having practiced law for all these years, you, know, you, you, you assume that you can lose on everything that it's possible for you to lose on. Uh, I think our arguments are better than the arguments are of the, uh, the other side. But uh, sure, indeed, we we could lose on one of them.
0: And let's go back to the really big procedural issue. If you consider standing a procedural issue, I I guess it can be considered either procedural or substantive. But any which way you consider it, it's really, really a big deal, the way the court uh, held standing. And she didn't go into it a lot. She just uh, said, do you think this is specific to habeas corpus, and why is that important?
1: Yes, I think it is specific to habeas corpus. Uh, it's it's specific to habeas corpus both as a matter of the common law, uh, and also as a matter of the of, of Article Seventy of the uh, CPLR in New York, where it makes it clear that 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 any person can file suit, or I'm sorry, that anyone. I think the word may be anyone. I'd have to go back and lo- look at the statute. Uh, but it's it's really clear that uh, we've always thought it was clear that that we had standing, uh, and. Indeed, we, we could point to, to uh, such cases as the um, Somerset case that we talk about, the 1772 case in England that we talk about a lot in our papers, where where um, somebody who was not related to James Somerset came in and sought the writ of habeas corpus and, and got it. Uh, we can point to the, um, the so-called Hottentot Venus case from the early part of the 19th century where a an African woman was uh, was brought and exhibited in london and the abolitionist society was concerned that she was not there on her own free will and they went to the court of king's bench and they got a um, writ of habeas corpus as, as well in order for the court to determine whether or not she was there voluntarily so this was the abolitionist society and not anyone who was who was related or had any other um particular interest in the african woman so uh it, it we are we are indeed following the common law and we thought the uh article 70 codified the common law and we were uh very pleased that uh at least in the area of habeas corpus it seems like indeed anyone can bring a lawsuit on on behalf of anyone else and they have standing
0: yeah i i think that's a hugely important fact and and if you were going to have any legal principle <sighs> Defined as being able to bring on behalf of an animal, of course we would want it to be habeas corpus, the the great writ that allows people who are wrongfully or who allows anyone who is wrongfully imprisoned to be set free. What I want to talk about both uh, the implications for the Kiko case and the Tommy case, but of course the the. The court's holding had a lot more to do with the Tommy case, because that's the case in which she held she was bound by the third department's decision. She did not in any way, I thought, indicate that she thought that the third de- department's decision uh, that in, which I'll ask you to describe, which had to do with the ability to to uh, bear duties. Um, she didn't indicate it was right, but. Uh,
1: she did not. She did not indicate she, she thought it was right. In fact. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at one of the pages, and she says that the, the, the parameters of legal personhood have long been and will continue to be discussed and debated by legal theorists, comment, commentators, and courts, and will not be focused on semantics or biology or even philosophy, but on the proper allocation of rights under the law, asking, in effect, who counts under our law. Well, she essentially took that from our memoranda. That's That was the argument that we we were making, and it was also interesting when she was talking about how she was bound as a matter of stare decisis. She specifically quoted dissent from Chief Justice K in the Court of Appeals, saying that that the lower court was bound even when they didn't agree with it, with the uh, other holdings. So I I think you might you might be able to uh, reasonably imply that the reason she chose that is that she's signaling that perhaps uh, she was bound and she may not have agreed with what the Third Department did.
0: Yeah, that that certainly came through to me. And But one thing that kind of disturbed me, unless I missed something, is that in discussing the Third Department's decision, which she did at some length, she did not discuss what I consider and what, what I think you consider the really big issue, which was also ignored by the Third Department, regarding humans who cannot bear duties. What do you make of that? Am I right? And if so, what do you make of that?
1: Uh, I think she didn't talk about it because she didn't need to. She just... Uh... She just recognized that the third department had really, in a similar situation, held that chimpanzees were not persons, and she felt bound by that. Uh, I think she, since she was bound, I, I guess she could have in dicta uh, said that she didn't agree, but I think she decided to kind of imply that by by her citations. Uh, but it, it, is a, it is a very important problem. Uh, more, it's, it's a very important problem, actually, on, on two levels, it concerns us. Number one is that the only appellate case other than our chimpanzee case in Tommy's case is the Byrne case in the Court of Appeals. And they defined a person not as someone who, who had rights and responsibilities, but as a person who had rights and privileges. They they said nothing about having to be able to bear duties or responsibilities in order to be a person. So our first argument to the Court of Appeals, trying to get them to take the case, is that is that they simply have misconstrued Byrne. Uh, the second thing is that uh, if they are arguing that, well, they they do run into the problem that there are lots and lots of human beings who who can't bear responsibilities, and for them to do do away with that problem in a footnote by saying essentially, uh, "Don't worry, this doesn't apply to humans." Well, that's not really a rational a rational uh, uh, distinction. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, and I well, would it's not have loved
1: reasoned. To, How about if I say that it's not a reasoned distinction?
0: No, it's just wrong. I mean, it just seems wrong, and certainly warrants more discussion than one would find in that brief footnote, uh, yes. which one al- almost feels was put in there. As I have to say, having worked in a court, footnotes often are when a decision is circulated, and some judge points out, "Oh, but isn't there a problem here? Should we add something?" And also, we as an afterthought.
1: We we it it looks that way. It, it looked that way to us too. And then we also pointed out that there are different kinds of legal rights. And you know, I, I teach my students about the four correlative kinds of Hohfeldian rights. And that the the idea that um, that someone might have to be able to bear duties might make sense if someone's going to have a claim right. You know, if you're going to sign a contract, for example, which requires a claim and a duty, then you have to be able to bear duties. But The argument that that, uh, a chimpanzee has a right to bodily liberty protected by a writ of habeas corpus is not a claim right. It's a so-called immunity right. It's a negative right. It means somebody cannot harm you. So why should you possibly have to be able to bear duties in order to have someone not harm you? That doesn't make any sense at all.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And let's hope that the next court that, that deals with this case just really... Dives into that issue, which is really the very crucial issue before the courts here. I just want that—that was uh, covering her discussion of the uh, Tommy case, but also what she did with the Kiko case. I I think the Tommy decision in saying that you have to be able to bear duties to have this kind of right is very problematic. But the Kiko decision was even more problematic. From from the perspective of habeas corpus, is that why you think she specifically uh, made clear that she felt that she was not bound by the Kiko decision, and and pointed out that there is precedent in the other direction, even though that precedent doesn't necessarily have to do with animals?
1: Yes, the the problem that the uh, fourth department has in Kiko is that uh, they actually twice assumed without deciding that Kiko could be a person, and then said that uh, they that uh, we were going to get thrown out because uh, you could not use a writ of habeas corpus. That kind of relief was not available to someone who was trying to uh, transfer from really one place of being of being in someone's custody to another place in which you're under someone's custody, that you had to be able to be released absolutely. Well, 200 years of New York case law say no, and the judge noted the uh, precedent in the first department that also says no. Uh, what that means is that uh, children, for example, who might be, say, jailed wrongly, well, you, have, you would have to move them from the custody of the jailer back to the custody of their parents. And using the fourth department's reasoning, you could not bring a writ of habeas corpus. Uh, same thing for someone who is mentally ill or had Alzheimer's disease or any one of us who is being, who would have to be in someone else's custody and then were put into jail or a mental hospital and then someone brings a writ of habeas corpus, and they say, well, you're not freeing them, absolutely. You're simply moving them from one place of, of custody to another place of custody. And, again, 200 years of habeas corpus law in the state of New York say that you can do that. And the fourth department is really a major outlier on, on this issue.
0: Yeah, that that's a very troubling decision, and clearly needs to be overruled. I think actually talking about it, that what Jaffe, Judge Jaffe did here was so brilliant. She kind of got rid of all of the bullshit issues and just like set it up for the appellate division to like deal with the real issue.
1: Well, exactly right. And and we have spent a lot of time trying to swat away all the procedural objections that, that people that judges can dream up or the opponents can dream up and one by one we've been swatting them away. And what we've wanted was to be able to make our public policy, make our principal issues of why chimpanzees are autonomous beings and why that should entitle them to habeas corpus Protection. We we want to make that you know purely to the court and have them have to grapple with that without having to think of all these other uh, other side issues as well.
0: Yeah. And it, so I think she was very smart and she managed to avoid having to uh, make that decision herself. And, you know, I have seen Supreme Court judges who ignored uh, appellate this vision division decisions in other departments i'm just saying that's happened but you know she had a she was actually completely right on the law she was bound by that decision any any favorite quotes from this decision
1: well i have a very the very last thing she said was uh i thought really interesting uh i I think i told you have i already said it before once where where she says uh you know for now i have to uh in in light of the fact that i have to follow this precedent then uh, then you lose. Um, I really like the, the, her quote from Justice Kennedy in the Lawrence versus Texas. Oh case. yeah, absolutely. That, where and she said it's in another context, but but she basically quotes him by saying, you know, there are some rules that that uh, uh, history shows, you know, we're we're outdated and that and we thought they were right at the time but it turns out that they were they were simply being used as as a way of oppressing. And really that's what we're saying now that the, the legal thinghood of all non-human animals including all chimpanzees you know may at one time before we understood who chimpanzees were have been appropriate but uh, but now that we know how extraordinarily cognitively complicated and, and and autonomous they are the rule that they're things merely serves to oppress them to enslave them.
0: Yeah, and uh, the, I, I love that these huge concepts of justice are being brought to bear, and I love that she she wrote this decision that was uh, really extensive and really got to many of the, the basic issues. And I know that a lot of people are very disappointed that this didn't come the other way, but really it's hard to imagine um, how you could have lost better. And um, I
1: entirely agree. You know, um, we view this as throwing off a lot of the procedural things that had plagued us and that that allows us to take really on one more giant step towards being able to win in these cases.
0: Yeah, and hopefully the first department will not revisit some bullshit procedural reason for, for getting rid of this case. Which re- the arguments are weak on all of them, but but we'll really grapple with the fundamental issues, and we'll decide according to the New York Post that chimps are
1: people. <laughs> I get to people, I, I I I no matter how many times we tell we tell people that uh, uh, they, they they don't get it, and and you know Judge uh, Jaffe did get one thing though, you know she understood that we're not asking for human rights for chimpanzees, that we're asking for chimpanzee rights for chimpanzees. Yes. And she did get that.
0: Yes, I, absolutely. And I love that. And she fully understood that personhood is not limited to humans.
1: She There's said that. No it's question of that. You know, I wish I wish we'd been able to get her before the uh, third department case came down. I would have liked to have uh, seen what she would have said de novo, because I think uh, uh, the indications are there that we indeed might have won.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so in, in some sad way, uh, congratulations. It's a, it's it's just, you know, a a loss is not something to be celebrated, but this loss is a pretty good loss and I can't wait for the next step. Uh, we will be watching very carefully as, as the case goes to the court where I worked for many, many years.
1: Well, we also uh, have, uh, both the, um, Tommy and the Kiko case are in front of the court of appeals on motions for, for the Leave to Appeal, so we should be hearing from them in the next Yeah,
0: moment. I wonder if there's any chance that they would grant Leave and hold it in abeyance when, when a case hasn't even reached the, the mid-level appellate court. You know, the, the third, this third case hasn't even reached the mid-level. Well, we'll see. It would be nice to have them all heard together.
1: I wonder, uh, and I don't know the, law, the procedural law of New York on, on this issue, but I wonder whether they could reach down and say, we want to take it because uh, it'll be in the first department, and they would say, uh, first department, send it to us. We want to hear all three of them at the same time.
0: Yeah, I don't, I, I, do I don't know. I don't remember that ever coming up, but I'm not sure they could.
1: Well, you know, I, about 90% of the things that we've done in this, these cases have never come up. So,
0: <laughs> Exactly. You keep asking me questions. What does the first department do when? And I have no idea. This doesn't come up.
1: <laughs> it's, um, so no, no, we, we usually stop asking because uh, because the answer is that people don't know, and the people who, who pretend that they do know, we're positive they don't know.
0: Oh, yeah. That, well, that's true of lawyers generally, don't you think? You ask <laughs> a lawyer a question, if they answer right off the top of their head, you know they don't know what they're talking about. If they say, oh, I'll have to go look that up, then you know that they know what they're talking about.
1: But there's the chance. that We saw that – this week, in, uh, Donald Trump's lawyer, who said off the top of his head that a husband can't rape a wife. And we said, what are you talking yeah, about?
0: Like, uh, yeah. like, what, what, in right? medieval Europe, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for rejoining us. Um,
1: Promise to stay with me and call me back as I either – Um, uh, electronically shake hands or or you can offer further condolences.
0: (laughs) Okay, absolutely. We promise and we thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here today on Our Hen House. Bye. Thanks, Steve. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today on the Animal Law Podcast. The Animal Law Podcast is part of the Our Hen House podcast family, and you can also listen to our signature weekly Our Hen House podcast. You can find it on iTunes or Stitcher or on henhouse.org. There are nearly 300 episodes already recorded, so you've got your work cut out for you. As a 501c3, Our Hen House relies on your contributions to keep our work going and to keep vegan indie media alive. So we hope you'll support us by becoming a flock member. It's $15 a month or $150 a year. And if you do, we'll send you a tote bag and exclusive login info. And that will give you access to exclusive content, giveaways, and it will also give you access to the vibrant, private Our Hen House Facebook group where people are having the most interesting, fascinating discussions every single day. You can go to OurHenHouse.org and click on Donate. Follow us, please, on Facebook and Twitter, at Our Hen House, and you can contact us by clicking on Contact, at OurHenHouse.org or just by emailing us at info at I'm Marianne Sullivan. Thank you so much for being here today. So long.